Political Thoughts with Steve is brought to you by Anchor. Go to anchor.fm today to start your free podcast or download the Anchor app from all major app stores. And welcome to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. I am your host, Stephen Murphy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of my fellow political nerds out there in podcast world. Hope everyone is having a great week. I know I am. There's just so much to talk about. So this week's episode, we are going to be talking about Bernie Sanders and his 2020 election campaign to become president of the United States. I'm very excited about this. I don't know about every one of y'all, but I know that I am extremely excited about this. I've been waiting since 2016 for him to say that he's running in 2020. So we're going to be talking about him. Also, our main topic of discussion, we're going to be talking about city corruption. Yeah, normally we talk about national issues, but you know what? We are going to kind of make a switch for this week's episode. As promised, we have a special guest on our show for this week, and we're going to be talking about corruption at the city level and what's been going on in city politics. So we're going to be talking about that. Also for Poly Talk this week, we're going to be talking about the history of voting. We're going to be talking about why voting matters, why we need to get off our asses on election day and go out there and go vote. And for final thoughts with Steve this week, we're going to be talking about getting involved within our communities, how we are always talking about how we can be better human beings. Part of that is getting involved. So we're going to be talking about what we can do as far as our communities, how we can get involved within our community. So we're going to be talking about that this week as well. So sit back and relax. Go ahead and make yourself a cold drink. I have my bottle of scotch right here beside me, and we will be right back on this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. And welcome back to this week's episode of Political Thoughts of Steve. Our first topic of discussion is Bernie Sanders. Bernie is officially running for the 2020 nomination for president of the United States. And ladies and gentlemen, my fellow political nerds, I am so, so very excited that he is running. I have literally been waiting since 2016 for him to announce he's running for 2020. And just let me tell you that. I'm probably different than many Democrats out there who are still kind of pissy that Hillary did not win the presidential election in 2016. But you know what? Bernie was my guy in 2016. Bernie is my guy in 2020. I am so very excited. So let's talk about Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders has announced that he is running for president of the United States. Um, He has been campaigning in Iowa. He just got done campaigning in New Hampshire. He's going to be going to all the swing states and everything. I mean, looking at his his campaign itself, it's very energetic. He is ready 
to get out there and start putting in all the hard work to convince us, the voters, why he is better than everybody in the present field. And I'm saying present field because Joe Biden has not announced that he's running yet. Beto O'Rourke has not announced that he's running yet. So right now, our front runner right now, according to the polls, is Bernie Sanders. And I'm totally cool with that. Um, Two months into the presidential campaign, the leading Democrat contenders have largely broken with consensus-driven politics and embrace leftist ideas on health care, taxes, the environment, and Middle East policy that would fundamentally alter the economy, elements of foreign policy, and ultimately remake American life. So Bernie Sanders of Vermont, he is the senior senator from Vermont. He is a Democratic Socialist. Huge difference between an actual socialist, but that is a total different podcast. Um, But he is a Democratic Socialist who is the top candidate in the race at this early stage. Many vocal leaders in the party are choosing to draw lessons from liberal victories in 2018 rather than the party's breakthroughs in moderate suburban battlegrounds that delivered Democrat control to the House last year. Um, These progressive Democrats risk playing into Mr. Trump's hands. He has repeatedly branded them socialists, yet they argue that their ambitious agenda can inspire a voter revolt in 2020 that elects a left-wing president. So what are my thoughts on Bernie Sanders? Well, this may piss off everyone that is a Hillary Clinton supporter, and if I piss anyone off, I'm sorry, get over it, because you are listening to my podcast. If you love Hillary, go find another podcast to listen to. But here's my thoughts on Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is the reason why we have so much discussion going on right now in D.C. involving healthcare, education, uh, the top 1% that does not get taxed at all. He is the reason why people like AOC or a lot of these um, Democratic Socialist candidates have gotten elected to Congress. I mean, he, he he's the reason. He's not the reason why we lost 2016. You need to get that out of your head right now. Bernie Sanders is not the reason we lost in 2016. The reason why we lost in 2016, now I think I've said this a million times on this pod, is because of Hillary Clinton. We betted on a loser. She had too much shit against her. And the news were forcing Hillary down our throats the moment she said that she was running. Now, the only thing that I had against Bernie was he didn't fight it at the convention. I strongly believe that he should have because it started coming out right as the convention was getting you know, hotter and hotter that the DNC was plotting against Bernie the whole time. The DNC was running a lot of Hillary campaign ads. The DNC was throwing Hillary down her throats and he didn't do anything about it, which I have always believed that he should have. But you know what? That's not either here or there. That is back in the past. This is 2020. There is a lot to win in 2020. There's a lot at stake for 2020. Um, He has been in Iowa this week for the first time as a candidate. 
He had a huge crowd on Thursday. Um, he actually um, was talking about education. He was talking about how the 1% needs to be taxed more than the rest of the country is right now under the Trump tax plan. Um, but yeah, the spirited toward populism amounts to a rejection of the incriminal and often defensive brand of politics that's characterized the party's approach to highly charged issues for 40 years. Yet when nearly half of voters indicated in polls that they will not support the president's re-election, many moderates say the cautious strategy in 2018 that helped the party pick up 20 House seats that Mr. Trump carried two years earlier should be the payback for next year. The moderate ring of the party lacks an obvious standard bearer. Now, you could say that people like Michael Bloomberg from New York, he could have been a centralist campaign, um, or Sherrod Brown of Ohio, he is a Midwestern progressive who favors a within-the-system style of pragmatic politics. Um, Amy Klobacher of Minnesota, who is running, has presented herself as a centralist, but her problem is she hasn't gained any kind of traction at all. So, right now, Bernie is the is the leading contender right now amongst all the voters. Um, and you know what? I give Bernie a lot of credit. He is talking about issues that matter to us when it comes to when it comes to the 99% that needs to be taxed more when it comes to free education when it comes to getting rid of the debt uh, military intervention i mean this guy was talking about this way before 2016 and what attracted me before 2016 was when he was on the floor of the Senate, they were about to vote on a veterans bill and he was criticizing the Republican leadership saying, well, you had the money to send the guys over there to send these people over there to fight for their country. Yet you don't want to take care of them when they come back. That to me was a, that, that was a major, major deal. Like I was, I was the moment he said that, I was stuck and I became a huge fan of Bernie Sanders. And when he was running in 2016, when he was talking about how he wanted to get rid of college debt, which by the way is 90% now of our overall national debt is student loan debt. I mean, that is a huge problem. We would think about, you know, all this you know money that we've wasted on other countries all this money that has been wasted, you know, on military contractors, shit that we never needed. That only goes to 10% of our national debt. 90% of our national debt is student loans. People cannot afford student loans because people go to college with the promise of you go to college and get a degree. You will have a job when you get out in the real world they're getting out of the real world. They cannot find jobs. I mean, I could not tell you how many college 
graduates that I know that are either unemployed or working in a field that has nothing to do with the field that they went in when they went into college. And it's becoming more difficult to pay off student loans because more jobs are hiring part-time help versus full-time help because it's cheaper to save on benefits than it is to employ someone at 40 hours a week, which I believe is just total bullshit, by the way. I think people don't need five part-time jobs to equal one full-time job. I think people need full-time jobs. But that's just me. You know what? I don't own a business. I've never owned a business. But I think when it comes to people who have worked their asses off in college, who has graduated college, who decided to pursue you know, a master's degree in that field, they cannot find full-time jobs because there are none. Many of them are having to move out of state to find jobs in other states because the state just does not offer. I know from where I live, we're a major industrial city. And I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. The city that I live in, if you are not a welder or a pipe fitter, you are probably not going to get a good job right now in this city. Now, many of those that I know that have good jobs right now, they found great jobs out of high school before the economic collapse in 20 or in 2006. So they got lucky, but for us, like me, who went to the military, who left the military, went back home, could not find employment, decided to go to college, still could not find employment when I graduated college, even though I was promised employment. But you know what? That's in the next segment, by the way. Those people cannot find jobs. And it was mentioned in 2016. And it's now being mentioned again in 2020 because Bernie Sanders is bringing up those issues. Bernie Sanders is bringing up Medicare for all, which before 2016, people thought about it, but really didn't even speak about it. Now it's a major topic of discussion why this country needs a Medicare for all system. Now, I don't think that we should ever be required to have health care. Obamacare was great in its original form, but the moment that the insurance companies got the bill and started putting lines through the bill, Obamacare got screwed up. When it passed and became law, it was still screwed up. I'd never agreed as a requirement for you to have health insurance. I think people are making, you know, a million dollars a year can afford doctor visits without health insurance. I know that I can't. I know that my family can't. But it should not be a requirement. My idea was to lower the 65 plus stature on Medicare and open it to everyone as an option and just see how it goes. If it becomes successful, then maybe we should. Maybe we should, you know, go with a full um, government ran healthcare system. But let's not force that upon everybody because, you know what, cultures are different. That's something that I've tried to explain to some people that fail to listen. Cultures are different. Cultures in the North are totally different than cultures in the South. And there, if there's one thing I know about people, as far as the South is concerned, they do not like anything forced on them. They are automatically against it if it's going to be forced. So if you want a Medicare for all system, I say drop the 65 plus stature in Medicare and open it up as an option and just see 
how it goes over the next five years. If it becomes successful and people are liking it, people are okay with it, then all right, let's make that into a permanent thing. But if not, let's have a let's have a plan B ready to go just in case. That's all I'm gonna say on Medicare for All. But I definitely support Bernie Sanders on Medicare for All. I support him when it comes to college education. Um, making public universities free. You know, my question has always been, how will we afford that? Or should that be something that, you know, needs to happen? Should we make public education or public universities free? That's a good question to ask all of you, my listeners. Question of the week, should we make public educate or public colleges free for everyone that wants to go to college? Also, what about the private colleges? I went to a private university, but I had my GI Bill, and it was just five minutes away from the house. That's why I went. Um, Should private colleges be required to be free also, or should they be required to lower their tuition rates so that their students don't have to worry about debts while they're in college? They can worry about that after they get out of college. So that's some pretty good questions to ask everyone for this week's episode. Um, so yeah, Bernie is running. I'm very excited about Bernie Sanders running. I think it's a great thing to have Bernie on that platform. And I'm hoping that the DNC does not try to fuck Bernie this, this go around like they did in 2016, because I can tell you this, we had a very low voter turnout for millennials in 2016. It's because, our pick was Bernie Sanders. And when the DNC fucked them, it was all right, well, fuck you too. We're not going to go vote. And now you have Trump. Now, yeah, your argument can be, well, Russia had everything to do with the election. I'm not denying that. I'm a hundred percent convinced that Russia had something to do with the 2016 election, but this isn't 2016 anymore. This is 2019. We are three years from 2016 there's been a lot of lessons learned, and if the DNC is smart, they will not try to fuck Bernie Sanders before the primaries. But you know what? Sometimes people just don't listen. People don't take lessons to heart anymore. So you know what? We'll see about that. But I'm really hoping the DNC does not. Um, also, Vice President Biden has not announced that he's running yet, but if he does, what does that mean? Well, right now there are polls going on around the country. You can Google all this information that Vice President Biden is leading in many states, but he has not chosen to run yet. What that tells me is that some people are trying to force Biden down our throats already when we have Bernie to pay attention to. Now, I'm not saying let's all pay attention to Bernie. Bernie is, you know, my pick. Find the candidate that is best for you. Find the candidate that you agree with 100% and put your, you know, put your money into that campaign and everything. It's time for us to start getting more and more involved in the political landscape and try to Make sure that the mistakes of 2016 does not happen in 2020. So that's all I'm going to say. But Bernie is running. I'm very excited about that. Everyone should be excited about what's going on right now within Democrat politics. There's a lot to talk about for Democrat politics. I'm hoping everybody 
gets involved during this election cycle, I have already donated to my first campaign for this year, and I'm pretty sure everyone knows who I donated to, but I'm getting involved now. Everyone else should get involved now. This is what the fun part of the primaries are. This is the fun part about election season is everyone's getting involved. Everyone's talking again. So let's keep that conversation up and let's see how this primary season is going to go. We'll be right back. And welcome back to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. So, as promised to all of my Twitter followers out there in Twitter world, I have my very, very first interview today, and I want every one of you political nerds to welcome Eileen Corcoran. Eileen is one of my really, really good friends. She's like a sister to me, and she's been my mentor now for about four years. So, Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. I'm glad to be here little nervous, but we're going to get it done. We are going to get all of this done today. So there's been some shit going on with you involving local government. Now, the majority of all of you, my awesome political nerds out there, we always talk about national issues. But for this week, we're going to be talking about local issues. So what's going on right now with you? Well, first, let me just say, I know you talk about your little $20 and quarters for your bleeping words. Just want your listeners to be prepared because I have the mouth of a sailor. So I hope you guys don't mind too much. Anyway, um, a little bit about myself. Uh, my name's Eileen Corcoran. I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. I moved here to go to school. Um, I've graduated several times, thankfully. Uh, I got hired with the city of Mobile right after I finished my first master's in public administration in 2007. I was hired as a city smart investigative analyst. I loved my job. I loved my boss. Um, and then eight years later, we got a new mayor, uh, Mayor Sandy Stimson. Um, I knew from the get-go it was going to be different. Uh, we went from a Democratic mayor to a Republican mayor. I just didn't know that the people he was going to bring in were really just not good people. Um, long story short, this past year, the city of Mobile public service workers, um, more specifically, the public works department employees have been going before the city council and telling them about the abuse they've been put under for the past four or five years under various management personnel and supervisors in the public works department. And they also this year really came forth and started asking for raises to be given to their department. Um, these are people that have worked for the city for upwards of 30 years. They're still not making $30,000 a year. A lot of them have to have second jobs. They're just not treated. They're treated as second class citizens. Long story short on that. Um, now, this year, as I said, they started asking for raises. They were told by their executive interim director, John Peavy, and the mayor administration that if they were able to find money within their current budgets to sustain a pay raise for the employees without causing additional funds for 
fiscal year 19 that they would be able to get the raises. Um, the problem with that is, is not very many people in the public works department have the training to extract those numbers from the city's financial system. Even if they did, they did not have access to everybody else's budget numbers. Because of what I did and what I have done with the city for the past 11 and a half years, I had access to the information that they needed. Um, so what I did, and plus I've worked with the Public Works Department for those 11 years on various projects, um, safety needs, things like that, training. So I ran the numbers for them. Um, what I found was, is there was enough money in the personnel budgets of each division in public works to substantiate a 12.5% raise for the employees, along with a one-time $2,500 bonus incentive without there being any additional expenses for fiscal year 19. Not only that, but there was still roughly six to $700,000 left over in their budgets for FY19 after the raise was implemented that the city could take and use for other needs or, or expenditures that were coming up. So I gave them the information. Uh, we waited, took about another four weeks for the mayor's proposed budget to come out to go to council. Um, and when it did, I got rather upset. Um, after looking at the numbers, the mayor and his administration essentially cut the budgets of all the public works departments by a total of little over $1.5 million. That a, is Republic, what, what, a Republican decided to cut budgets? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, surprise. Well, no, surprise, surprise. They, he specifically cut their budgets. No, of the rest of the de departments and divisions in the city, I would say between 80 and 85% of them got increases in their personnel. And I'm not talking five or 10,000. I'm talking like 100,000, 200,000, uh, 150,000 for these small departments. But he had to take everything that was available in the public works department's personnel budget away from them. So that nullified any chance of any raises for those employees. And it nullified the opportunity for any new hires in those departments since those public works divisions have been running shorthanded for years. So what I did, and I thought about it because I knew that if I sent, did what I wanted to do, there was the chance that I would lose my job. But then when I spoke with John, Mr. John Peavy, the interim executive director, about the mayor's proposal, proposed budget and the money it was missing, he was actually the one that suggested I send my chart numbers that I shared with Mr. Peavy and Mr. Woods, the city attorney, uh, a month beforehand. He suggested I send that to the council people. So I was like, well, he basically gave me the go ahead. So I wrote a letter because I'm also a citizen of, of Mobile. And I mm -hmm. sent that letter and the graphic information to the special budget task force that had been formed by the city council. Uh, within five days of sending that, 
I was, my position was eliminated. Um, I got told the um, the morning of September 20th that Ricardo Woods and my executive boss wanted to meet with me at 2.30. So I went to the meeting and I was given a letter. It took about two minutes. I was not allowed to ask any questions. They gave me about five minutes to grab what I could out of my office. And then I was escorted out of the building like I was a criminal. And it took three weeks for me to get the rest of the stuff out of my office because I wasn't allowed to go back through all of my stuff. So that's what happened to me. Um, About a week after I lost my job, another person was randomly terminated. Um, She was on the news. Her name was Marion. She was the communication lady for the city council. She got terminated. My thing is, is I was let go under the guise of reorganization restructuring. That is such bullshit. I mean, neither my boss or my executive level director knew what they were doing until the day of. So it's obvious that I was retaliated against. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Well, you know, the city council did something extraordinary after I sent that information. They actually amended the budget and put money in there for at least a 5% raise for the public works department. Mayor Stimson has yet to give those people that raise. He has yet to sign the fiscal year 19 budget. So we're basically operating illegally in the city of Mobile. That is just crazy. So basically you saw a problem and your job, you, you know, you looked at numbers all the time and you said, you know what? We have the means to solve this problem that could become a huge deal in city government in itself with public works because working, you know, under public works, when I worked with you, public works is what the largest department in the city of mobile. Yes, by far. So you did your job and then they fired you for doing your job. They fired you for just caring and just being a good public servant pretty much. Yeah, I mean, and what's sad is that's not the first time they messed with me for doing what was right. And Stephen, I know you were there when I was going through the mess with Greg Beckham. Oh, yeah. No longer working the devil. in the city. Um, the, one of the biggest psychopaths I've ever met in my life. Psychopath? Jesus. Hey, that's, heaven. that says something when it comes to my ex-wife, okay? But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what, you know, with him, I had been, he started working with the city right before the new mayor, Mayor Stimson came in. Um, It took me about six months to realize he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, the man is fucking crazy. Bottom line. Um, I reported to my supervisor, my boss at the time, um, who was a man named uh, Gary Gamble, and told him for roughly two or three years that 
Greg Beckham was harassing me and he was literally making my job a living hell because he hated the drive cam program. And he, for some reason was hell bent on making me go work for him over in the municipal garage. Now, again, I'd been telling my boss, Gary Gamble, this for years and he did nothing, absolutely nothing. Then all of a sudden, somehow, Mayor Stimson decided he was going to promote Greg Beckham to Senior Director of Public Services or Public Works. It doesn't matter. And when that happened, uh, Greg Beckham made a beeline for me. Um, it was really rough eight months, eight or nine months. I was called into HR every other week for fraudulent complaints on behalf of Gary Gamble. I've got recordings where of the meetings I had to hold between HR, Gary Gamble and myself, where I'm crying because I told Gary Gamble, I'd been telling him for years that the man was harassing me. And now that he was in a uh, uh, elevated position, he really was, he would not leave me alone. And the only response that I got from Gary Gamble every time I said he's harassing me was to stay out of his way on at least five different occasions in one meeting. I'm telling, you know, the HR director and Mr. Gamble that Greg Beckham is incessantly harassing me. And the only thing that Mr. Gamble told me to do was to stay out of Greg Beckham's way. Then, um, Wow. I found that I know, I know. Then I found there was quite a number of missing equipment cameras from the drive cam program, which I was the program manager and safety manager for. The cameras were just gone. They, uh, I don't know what happened to them, but it was at least 50 grand in cameras and equipment. And when I reported that to Paul Wesh, um, the chief of staff and the financial executive director of finance, I thought he was going to do something about it because I was doing what I'm supposed to do as a civil servant because that is wasteful. That's a lot of money. And what wound up happening to me was is I was kicked out of the Department of Safety and Performance completely. And the drive cam program was taken away from me. Um, all of my training that I was doing for city employees as far as forklifts and HASCOM training, I was no longer allowed to do that. Um, and I was put in another department against my wishes and for something that I, I was punished for something I didn't do. So I guess it's a two strikes with this administration and you're out. So doing the right thing is not apparently how they want it to work down there. See, it kind of goes back to when I started. I was pure when I started before I met you. And, I know, I know, I made it. And I, re I remember being so excited. You know, I remember telling Stimson that, you know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, but, you know, I like you. I think you're doing, you know, a good job because, you know, I didn't know any better. And it seems like, the more, the more I got to 
watch him and, you know, actually get to see a lot of the shit going down very quickly did my perception of him go downhill. I was like, huh, he's just another fucking Republican. Um, what he did to you when I tried yeah. to fire you. I mean, I had everything lined up for you, funding, everything. And at the last minute, they wouldn't let me do it because they had decided to go and mess with the History Museum. Yeah. Even though hiring you would have made no change to my bottom line. They just, they're just not good people. There are so many people that work for the city that get screwed over by, it's ridiculous. And people well, are so afraid now to do anything, to talk or anything. Mm-hmm. Like that time when, when the mayor first came in, I got called to HR because somebody reported they overheard me talking about how shitty I thought the mayor's budget proposal was while I was at lunch out of outside of the building they called me up there and uh tried to make me sign a piece of paper saying i'll never say the budget was fucked up again are you kidding me you can't do that making you sound like a non-disclosure or not even that i was getting chastised like i was in catholic high school again like i got caught smoking in my uniform or something and besides getting beaten with a ruler you were threatened with your job i mean who does that I mean, maybe in, you know, private sector, but not in the public sector. I mean, I'm, no. I was a merit system employee. And because the mayor and his people, the person that leads the personnel board right now was like the chief funding person or whatever. And his campaign in fundraising, that's who runs the personnel board now. So tell me how it's fair that they're getting re- that's how they're getting rid of people that they feel are a threat to them is they all of a sudden um, eliminate their position. They take the funding away from it. Now, myself, well, a normal person, if they did that too, I could see where maybe I'm, it's not right, but I could see where they would say, well, there's no plate. There's nowhere else we can put you, you know, but Steven, I'm about to finish my third master's degree, one in public administration, one in business administration, and I've worked with every single department at the city. You tell me why you couldn't find somewhere else to put me. See, that's a very interesting point. Um, I think how this city government works and, you know, the majority of my listeners don't live in Mobile at all. Um, you know, they live all over the country, but I'm pretty sure if it's this is just not happening here locally, this is happening all over the country. Everywhere. Um, you know, what you see on TV is not really what's going on behind the scenes at all when oh, it comes no. to city government. Oh, I loved I loved what I did. Now, you know, I was not paid for almost three years. Which was um, crazy. Which was crazy. But every single day I got to walk in that building, I was just happy. By far, that has been my favorite job and the only non-paying job I've ever had that I was actually happy. I mean, I remember what, twice that I was that I left that building pissed off in three years or almost three years. And the day that they fucked over that job was I think that was the first day 
And when the public safety director, decided, you know, when he was kicked out right after we had a meeting with him. The day of. The day of that he said, I am hiring you. This is what your job is going to be. You know, your salary can be negotiable, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I mean, it was set in stone that I was, you know, I was getting my opportunity and not even two hours later, we turn on the news and he was forced to leave. Even though they said that he resigned, that's bullshit. No. Yeah. He, he totally got forced to let this new guy come in. That's just the, the freaking, uh, James Barber, the chief of police. Yeah. Who just so happened to be with the uh, mayor on the campaign trail from day one. Like when he was running the first time, he was all up on the TV supporting Stimson, Stimson, Stimson. Now I tell you this much. If when this mayor, when Stimson runs again, if any employee happens to go and, and side with the other people, they'll get, they'll lose their jobs. Well, from what I'm hearing within the city, I mean, Stimson has pissed off a lot of people in his base anyways. And, you know, just taking the temperature a little bit, um, Mobilians aren't really that pleased with him. Well, they you know, on camera, because he's terrible. And it may well, not on even... camera, he looks good. But when it comes to taxes in Mobile, when it comes to public safety, which has always been a huge deal within the city, I mean... We used to have a huge, huge murder rate in the city of Mobile. No, no, no. We didn't have one. Now we do. Well, the majority of crime now is more what centered, what, downtown? No. it's Or they're trying to make downtown look safer, but... It's, a, you it's know, just a facade. That's all it is. And I think what always got me was the amount of money that was spent on public safety, not to knock our police officers, but... There is a difference between, all right, we're going to give a cop 20% pay increases versus we're going to put more money into the budget to make sure that our cops are always well-trained for every single situation. So we don't have a national catastrophe on our hands with a cop that decides to, you know, shoot some unarmed black kid because he decided to run with a pack of Skittles in his pocket. Well, I mean, not only that, we've lost two very young police officers in the past year. And both of them were highly preventable. They boiled down to lack of training and leadership on both of them. But all you see on the news is, oh, well, fundraiser for this and we're we're taking care of the, you know, the widow and the kids or whatever. Yeah, but you're not addressing what happened. Because in both of them, it was piss poor supervisory discretion it was um the whole it's all being covered up and it really pisses me off because nobody knows any better because they're never up front on tv and if they are they spin it in such a way as to divert any attention from them well welcome to a republican administration i guess um no, it's yeah, not even that. It's expected. It's not even that, dude. Look what he's paying the people that he brought. he's brought in. That's another thing. Instead of using people that have busted their ass their entire career in these departments who deserve 
to be elevated or promoted or whatever, they are being looked over for him to bring in these people from every other state, you know, in here and not just in the Southeast, but like California, Maine, bringing them in here to do these jobs that we have people who are doing already internally. And then he pays them a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Are See, you kidding? Still kills me is that right now he has an ex chief of staff who has not worked for him for what? Almost a year. Oh, wasn't it about a year. No, or, it's been like, but he's still years. getting paid though. Isn't he? Isn't he still get paid by the city? Uh, that I don't know. I will say I did see him in, um, about a month before I was let go. I did see Colby in the atrium. I don't know what he was doing, but. But how they're doing it, though, they're using money. It's like they're kind of putting it through a back door. And no, they're it's hiding all one... it. They're hiding it. So how, how do they. I mean, I know the answer to this question, but um, how do they pay these people? Without, you know, the taxpayer saying, well, why the hell are they paying $150,000 for, you know, a gardener? How, how do, how do this administration get around that? So people, you know, don't know what's really going on. Well, the first, like I, like I showed you, you know, from the get go first, because of all the different things that I've done in the city, I was the only one besides me and Bubba who had access to the position control system. And I spent about eight months after this mayor, Mayor Simpson came in, cleaning up the position system, which means I everybody was put in the right division and department that they were in. They were given the correct title and the correct salary amount. So I did all that. Well, it also made it possible to where I could look through all of the different um, account numbers. They weren't named, but you pull it up and it'll show you what the account number or what that account number is associated with. So in my working doing that, I discovered there were several pocket departments hidden in there where this mayor was putting his appointed people because Remember, when he ran against Mayor Jones, one of his things was is he was going to cut government spending. He was going to drastically reduce the amount of funding that Mayor Jones was using on his staff and all that good stuff. Well, it looked good on paper because Stimson was putting them in, like I said, in these hidden pocket departments where they were being accounted for. They were, And there was a lot of people in there. So, and, and it wasn't showing up on the budget because they didn't really exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they were, the funding for them was put in other accounts that were then funneled other ways. I just remember like one of my like biggest arguments whenever I was there with you and, you know, just going through the daily shit Mm -hmm. was how the fuck can they hire a $130,000 lawyer and not hire someone that's just asking for 35,000 a year? I mean, right. Hell, that's chump change compared to what this president administration pays 
for oh. you know his, his staff for his appointed staff. Absolutely. I mean, I remember you were telling me that when they were going to initially hire me on, they were going to do that through an appointment. And then, you know, we would go through, you know, the steps with personnel board to create the position. And I would just become a merit time employee, you know, through time. Right. Um, but I always looked at, all right, if this administration can afford hiring all these fucking people at a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, people that, you know, they really do not need. Uh, and they don't have the experience or the knowledge and capability to do what they're supposed to do. Well, that's been, that could be said for a lot of um, president administrations right now, especially um, the one that's uh, attempting to govern the country. Um, I don't even want to talk about him because that yeah. makes me sick. Yeah, we're we're just going to stay local. Um, but yeah, it, it always just flabbergasted me every single week because I learned from the city when someone tells me that they're going to do something now, I'm like, show me and I'll put my faith in you. Before that time, that was never a problem. I never, you know, had to expect you to do something. You just did it. And working for that administration and after all the bullshit that I've seen that has went on, especially after you know me and you talk every week, or when I would come and visit you and you would give me, you know, tell me all the, the crazy shit that was going on. I'm like, thank God I am not here anymore because I would probably be just as pissed as you are. Well, we've lost and, so many good people, so many good people. And it's sad. It really is. You know, and the way they're trying to get rid of people in the fire department is the people that are older, they're trying to say they're going to put them back on like active duty. Like they have to get back on the trucks. You can't do that. So it's forcing them into retirement. There's two or three people I know of for a fact that have been pushed to retirement because of that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say their names, but they were good people who by no means should have been forced to retire because they weren't in a position where they needed to run a marathon, you know what I'm saying? Or they needed to be on a truck or a paramedic or whatever. They were administrative. You just, it's, it's not right because Paul Wesh, the exec, the executive director of finance is hell bent on reducing the numbers of uh, employees. Yeah. Why? Well, he's, he's also still the chief of staff though, isn't he? Yeah, that's the other thing. We have one person being the chief of staff as well as the executive director of finance. Now, those two positions are inherently in conflict. Yes. You can't have one person doing it at the same time. Not only that, we all know about his past record before he came with the city and what he did to his former employer, almost put him out of business. Yeah. And they're still in litigation over some of it. This is also so they the should change, him. huh? They should just change like the motto of the city from the city of what six flags, I think, to if you work here and you do the right thing, prepare to get fired. Yeah. Um, or prepare to, you know, get pushed aside and forced to retire or forced to resign. Right. 
this city does not value its employees. I mean, I have a member in my family. Well, not really in my family, my best friend's family. He's a, he's an electrician and he tells me all the time how just (laughs) fucked up everything is right now. It is. And, huh? It is. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he tells me all the time when I see him, you know, just how everything is just so fucked up and how people just don't want to be there anymore. And, you know, that's sad because, you know, yeah, we always hear about how terrible politicians are. I mean, politicians, lawyers, and car salesmen are the three jobs that will probably land you in the pits of hell one day. But to someone like me that was, you know, so interested in being a public servant all of my life and, you know, wanted to serve this city make a career out of it or, you know, start my career in the city. It's like, you know, just fuck you. You can go back to where, you know, you came from. We're going to continue doing business, you know, the shitty way that, you know, we've been known to do it. And it seems like this administration in itself is just, extremely corrupted every time i see him on tv or on instagram this mayor i think that he's trying to set himself up so he can go and run for governor very soon um, who the hell knows dude he just I, mean, to I, I see him, i see him running for governor and if he does that i'm going to make it my personal mission in life to go door to door and expose this administration for what it is, which is a highly corrupted situation. You or administration? You gonna see my ass? Which on you TV. should too. Yeah, I'm actually I'm waiting to see you on TV. It's gonna happen. Now, are you are you currently like involved, like in you know, like litigation with the city right now, or? Are you taking any legal steps or are you just, you know, it is what it is? Well, hell no. Fuck no, it's not. It is what it is. I don't roll over and die like that. Uh Uh-uh. See, this is why she's my mentor, everybody. This right here. Mm -mm. I have my complaint with the EEOC that's ongoing. Um, I've also been uh, assisting a rather large number of employees file their own complaints with the EEOC. So it's far from over, far from over. It's not, it's not over by a long shot, huh? No, I don't stop until I get what I want. And what do you want? I just want my job back, dude. And I want this guy out of there because it's going to take a long time to fix what he's fucked up down there. See that that's what I admire. No matter how much bullshit they have put on you, how much shit that they have put you through, how much shit they have put you and your family through, all you want to do is go back and continuing be a public servant and serve the people of this community. Well, yeah, and the workers, I love. I mean, I wound I wound up being their freaking advocate, but I that's what I liked because our HR department needs to go. Oh, the stories of this HR department. It's not even worth going into, but they need to go. They really do. 
Well, I mean, it falls under city corruption. So, yeah, this is definitely a topic that we can talk about. Well, they're just not a HR department. They're not just with. okay, you know, city employees, they can get. Three, five percent raises their entire tenure there based off of the employee development program, which is 100 points. Well. The HR department, number one, is notorious for not offering shit for training for anybody. Human resource development is not a thing in our HR department. Not only that, the director will tell you point blank, she sides with management every time. It doesn't matter, which is in direct conflict with what being the HR director means. She's supposed to be the employee advocate, and she's not. There is no employee advocacy, basically. So, you know, when people would turn in these points, the ones that were lucky enough to get close to 100 points, they would turn it in and it would take six to eight months to hear back from the HR department as to whether or not their raise got approved. And then on top of that, the director is notorious for going in there and chopping and screwing everybody's point collection. So you wait eight months to find out you still like 10 short. So, and the whole time over that eight months, you can't do anything because once you turn in your, your point application for the raise, anything after that doesn't count towards your employee development. So you get screwed on that end. So it winds up taking more than a year in a lot of instances for an employee to get their raise, which is fucking ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I made that ridiculous. um... Not only that, but you can't, anything, any training you took in between that time, that year, year and a half, you lose. You can't count it towards your next raise. On top of that, you are not back paid for the eight months where you qualified for the EDP once you turned it in. It just took them a year and a half to process it. That's fucked up. There is no incentive for the people in the HR department to do anything worth a fuck. Now you're getting me upset. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. Um, (laughs) I always tell like my listeners, you know, during like the first three segments of my show, it's like, you know, everyone's heart is like that heart. Your heart meter is like going skyrocketed because your blood pressure. And that's why I always put that last segment at the end of the show, just to calm everyone down a little bit before we all die of heart attacks. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember, I think it was like my mom or maybe it was David. Um, I was like, you know, HR is supposed to be there for you, but it seems it, it's not just in city government. You know, it was at my previous employer that I will not name. Um, but it seems like now HR is more about protecting the managers protecting, you know, the higher ups and not being that advocate, you know, from the employee to the employer. See, but that whole thing is, is that's the dysfunction, a major dysfunction of public sector employers and private employers that would, that shit wouldn't go. Mm -mm. There's just no emphasis put on it unless you have a good person who knows how to retain good employees and treat the employees well. I don't know why it's like rocket science to people 
on how to take care of your employees. I mean, why is it so fucking hard? I don't get it. I mean, these are the people that are doing everything for you to help you look good. Take care of them and Mm -hmm. give them the opportunity to grow as a person too, both at work and outside of work. Why is that so hard? I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Because some people are fucking dumbasses. I mean, I, I'm that believer. If you take care of your employees, your employees are going to take care of you. A hundred thousand percent. And if you continue to fuck over your employees, you know, they're going to leave and go find better jobs. I mean, I, I think it was like right when I started, you asked me the question, why do you want to be here or something? And I think I said, you know, because this is what I know I love to do. And you said, good. Well, no, it's not for the money because there's no money in public service. There's not unless if you're one of, unless if, you know, you're, you know, one of these higher ups in this previous administration, um, and then, or in this current administration, then, you know, $150,000 in mobile economy, you know, you're doing pretty fucking good for yourself. You know, I always said, you know, if you, if you know how to live within your means, I mean, you can get, you know, in mobile, you can, you know, get by making, you know, 35, 40,000 a year, you know, as long as you're within your means. But, you know, I, I wasn't there for the money, obviously, you know, two and a half, three years, you know, working without a paycheck. So I I definitely, you know, wasn't there for the money. But how this administration is working, it's like, all right, you could have easily left and you were there over 10 years, right? Yes. So you could have easily left. You could have easily left your job, go into the private sector, Find something that would pay you twice as much than what you're making for the city, but you elected to stay with the city because you found that calling in life. And I always tell everyone that when you go into public service, it is a calling. It's not because, oh, the money is going to be super good. I mean, you know, you start off in public service, you're probably going to struggle there for a little while before you finally, you know, find what you're good at. And then you'll make, you know, some money so you can be a little bit comfortable but you know it's all about because you love doing what you're doing and it's because of you know poorly ran hr departments and poor, poorly ran management departments the reason why people are just up and leaving or being forced out of their jobs and in mobile's economy and not to knock the city but pretty much will knock the city i always say if you're not a welder a pipe fitter Good luck finding something good in this city because, you know, we're an industrial city. The people who have, you know, good jobs right now that's not in that, you know, business, they've had those jobs for a long time, way before the economy got fucked up in 2005 and 2006. But now, I mean, even for me, you know, almost graduated with a master's in public administration. I have a bachelor's degree in political sciences. A love for serving people, it is it was hard as hell for me to find a job in the city of Mobile. Shit. You know, thank God someone finally, you know, decided to take that chance that, you know, could provide, you know, that employment. I was lucky you know, when, with you know my present job. Well when you when you left the city, there were so many people that said they couldn't believe they let you walk out that door. Because 
always well, want new kit, new faces, you know, fresh ideas or whatever. So what do they do? They fucking run it out of the door. Well, yeah, definitely not with this administration. Mm -hmm. Maybe with Sam Jones. I mean, I remember the lady's office beside Paul Wesh's. She always told me about she had that intern that was a female. Oh, yes. Emily. Loved her job. Oh, loved her phenomenal. job. Phenomenal. And they let her go. And they let her go. But that was the Jones administration. That wasn't Stimson. But, you know, it goes back to, you know, people who want to be there, they don't care about. Yeah. People who, you know, just want to walk on in and, you know, pretty much cheat the taxpayers. Uh -huh. Yeah, they'll welcome you in open arms when it comes to this previous administration. So we only have like a minute left. Um, so what what do you want to tell all of our listeners that are listening right now? I have no idea. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope it opened your eyes as to the shit going on here. Um, and wish me luck. Well, the cool thing about this podcast is all my listeners are, they're, they're very passionate people. I mean, if you can only see my DMs on Twitter, people, you know, always messaging me about, you know, what's going on in their daily lives or what's going on, you know, in national government or I'm, I'm starting to actually get messages now from people that live in the UK that's talking about Brexit, which is something that we don't, that we rarely cover on this show. Oh, I've been following um, it. That's a mess and a half over there. Yeah, that is a huge mess. I don't think that they're going to make it no. to the end of no. March. I, I seriously no. think that this is a dead deal. No. I really do. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's just like how Trump got elected. But with this, with this show, it's, you know, we're reaching a lot of people. And as I said at the beginning, this just is not happening in our local government. This is happening all over the country. And we need to expose corruption because the mayor may have an open door policy, no, but that's never an open door no, policy. No, no, no. They're not transparent at it's all. It's bullshit. You still have to go through two all doors before you get to his office. So, yeah, they took that door right. off, but you still got to go. He may want to say it's transparent online or on the news, no, but behind the scenes. Shit. That, it's all a lie. <laughs> it's all a facade. This is, yeah, it. all of this is just smoke and mirrors, yeah, really. Yeah, it is. It really is. So, Eileen, my favorite person in the whole wide world. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. Thank you for having me. This this has been a really cool interview. This is the first interview that I've ever given, so hopefully this is the first of many. Um, but you know, keep us posted on everything that's going on with you in this situation, and we cannot wait to have you well, back. Well, you better have me back soon because you know I like to talk. Oh, you damn right. So. All right, so that will end it for this segment. We'll be right back.
What all my fellow political nerds out there in podcast world, this is Stephen Murphy, host of your favorite political podcast, Political Thoughts with Steve. So if you are a fan of small businesses and a fan of super awesome fucking t-shirt designs, then I have the company for you, and that is Stony J Brand. Stony J makes some really comfortable t-shirts that just... They're really fucking awesome. You have to take my word for it. So I want you to go to bonfire.com right now. Search grow the world or search hashtag team stony brands. If you, it will bring up his shirts and go ahead and buy you a couple of those t-shirts because they are really awesome. And also since all of you are Facebook people, I want you to go to facebook.com slash a stony J brand. That's facebook.com slash a Stony J brand and give this company a like today. Go check out Stony J brands. I promise they're fucking awesome. And welcome back to this week's episode of political thoughts with Steve. I hope everyone enjoyed last segment. I know I did. That was a great interview with Eileen. She has been a really great friend. She has been my mentor for the past five years since I got into city government. She is the reason that, helped me open my eyes to the shit that goes on in city government. So I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. So welcome to Poly Talk. This is that new segment that took this week in Trump away. And so far we've heard some really good, good remarks about Poly Talk. And you know what? I always use this segment as like an education tool because many people out there don't know that much about politics except for what we always talk about and i enjoyed lectures when i was in college going from an undergrad degree involving um political sciences and everything just learning why we do the things that we do so this week we're going we're going to be talking about voting let's talk about voting um the united states constitution did not originally define who was eligible to vote allowing each state to determine who was eligible In the early history of the United States, most states allowed only white male adult property owners to vote. Freed slaves could vote in four states. Women were largely prohibited from voting, as were men without property. Women could vote in New Jersey until 1807. And in some local jurisdictions and other northern states, non-white Americans would also vote in these jurisdictions, provided that they could meet the property requirement. By 1856, white men were allowed to vote in all states regardless of property ownership, although requirements for paying taxes remained in five states. On the other hand, several states, including Pennsylvania and New Jersey, stripped the free black males of the right to vote in the same period. Four of the 15 post-Civil War constitutional amendments were ratified to extend voting rights to different groups of citizens. These these extensions state that voting rights cannot be denied or abridged based on the following race, color, or previous conditions of servitude. That's the 15th Amendment. The 19th Amendment on account of sex. By reason of failure to pay any poll tax or other tax, for the federal elections that was in the 24th amendment and who are 18 years of age or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of age. And that was the 26th amendment following the reconstruction era until the culmination of the civil rights movement, Jim Crow laws, such as literary tests, 
poll taxes, and religious tests were some of the state and local laws used in various parts of the United States to deny immigrants, including legal ones and newly naturalized citizens, non-white citizens, Native Americans, and any other locally undesirable groups from exercising voting rights granted under the Constitution. Are we taking notes, class? We need to be taking notes. So because of each state and local discriminatory practices, over time, the federal role in elections has increased, although amendments to the Constitution and enacted legislation. These reforms in the 19th and 20th centuries extended the franchise to non-whites, those who do not own property, women, and those that are 18 to 21 years old. So let's take some, uh, let's look at some milestones. In 1789, the Constitution grants the states the power to set voting requirements. 1790, the Naturalization Act of 1790 allows white men born outside the United States to become citizens with the right to vote. In 1913, direct elections of senators established by the 17th Amendment gave voters rather than state legislators the right to elect senators. 1920, women are granted the right to vote in all U.S. states by the 19th Amendment of the Constitution. 1924, Native Americans were granted citizenship and the right to vote. 1943, Chinese immigrants were given the right to citizenship and the right to vote by the Magnuson Act. Residents of D.C. in 1961 are granted the right to vote. 1986, United States military personnel and uniformed services living overseas or living abroad on ships were given the right to vote. I mean, they're... When it comes to voting, many people had to march, bitch, and complain in order to be given the right to vote. I don't know why people decide to stay at home rather than go to a polling place. I don't get it because there's been a lot of shit that had to go down for people to to vote. I mean... Think about this. A religious test. You had, and this killed me, the Delaware Constitution of 1776 stated that every person who shall be chosen a member of either house or appointed to any office be taken his seat must also declare that he is a Christian. So there was a religious test. So that the person could be, you know, able to assume an office that that person has been elected to. Um, At the time of ratification of the Constitution in the late 18th century, most states had property qualifications which restricted people's rights to vote. The exact amount varied state to state. More than half of white men were disenfranchised. Several states granted suffrage to free men of color after the after the revolution, including North Carolina. The fact was noted by Justice Benjamin Robbins Curtis' dissent in Dred Scott v. Sanford from 1857 as he emphasized that blacks had been considered citizens at the time of the Constitution was ratified. In the 1820s, New York State enlarged its franchise to white men by drop, 
dropping the property qualification, but maintained it for free blacks. The Supreme Court of North Carolina had upheld the ability of free African-Americans to vote in that state because of fears of the role of free blacks after Nat Turner's slave rebellion in 1831. They were disenfranchised by decisions of the North Carolina Constitutional Convention. At the same time, convention delegates relaxed religious and property qualifications for whites, thus expanding their franchise to them. When the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868 after the Civil War, it granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to its jurisdiction. In 1869, the 15th Amendment prohibited the government from denying a citizen the right to vote based on the citizen's race, color, or previous condition of servitude. The major effect of these amendments was to enfranchise African-American men, the overwhelming majority of whom were freedmen in the South. After the war, some southern states passed black codes, state laws to restrict the new freedoms of African-Americans. They attempted to control their movement, assembly, working conditions, and other civil rights. Some states also prohibited them from voting. Then you had the passage of the 15th Amendment. You have... Even in Alabama, I know Alabama, every time we talk about Alabama, it's something to do with racism. And you know what? Not all of us Alabamians are like that. But, you know, our state has a history. But in Alabama in 1901, Constitution restricted the franchise of poor whites as well as blacks. It contained requirements for payment to a poll tax completion of literacy tests and increased residency at state, county, and precinct levels effectively disenfranchised tens of thousands of poor whites as well as most blacks. And let's talk about women. Yes, I have a lot of lady listeners, and I love my lady, lady listeners because they tell me what's going on, and they are not afraid to voice their or raise their voices when it comes to political issues. So women, a parallel yet separate movement was that of women's suffrage. Leaders of the suffrage included Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Alice Paul. In some ways, this too could be said to have grown out of the American Civil War as women had been strong leaders of the abolition movement. Middle and upper class women generally became more politically active in the northern states during and after the war. In 1848, the Seneca Falls Convention, the first women's rights convention that was held in Seneca Falls, New York, of the 300 present, 68 women and 32 men signed the Declaration of Sediments, which defined the women's rights movement. The first National Women's Rights Convention took place in 1850 in Massachusetts, attracting more than 1,000 participants. The National Convention was held yearly through 1860. When Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton formed the National Women's Suffrage Association, their goal was to help women gain voting rights through reliance of the Constitution. Also, in 1869, Lucy Stone and Henry Blackwell formed the American Women's Suffrage Association. However, the AWSA focused on gaining voting rights for women through the amendment processes. 
Although these two organizations were fighting for the same cause, it was not until 1890 that they merged to form the National American Women Suffrage Association, or the NAWSA. After the merger, the two organizations waged a state-by-state campaign to obtain voting rights for women. Another political movement was largely derived by women in the same area era was the anti-alcohol temperance movement, which led to the 18th Amendment and Prohibition. But it's because of this movement, the reason why we have the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote in time to participate in the presidential elections of 1920. So what about young people? I've heard a lot of 16-year-olds lately that's like, you know, we should have the right to vote. And I actually watched a episode of The West Wing not too long ago that dealt with kids and the right to vote. And that episode was just mad. It was just written so well. So let's talk about young people when it comes to voting. A third voting rights movement was won in 1960 to lower the voting age from 21 to 18. Activists noted that most of the young men who were being drafted to fight in Vietnam were too young to have a voice in the selection of leaders who were sending them to fight. Some states have already lowered the voting age, like Georgia, Kentucky, and Hawaii had already permitted voting by persons younger than 21. The 26th Amendment, ratified in 1971, prohibits federal and state laws which set a minimum voting age higher than 18 years old. As of 2008, no state has opted for an earlier age, although some state governments have started to discuss it. California has allowed persons who are 17 to register to vote for an election where the election itself will occur on or after their 18th birthday. And several states, including Indiana, allow 17-year-olds to vote in a primary election, provided that they will be 18 by the general election. So slowly but surely, we're trying to lower that 18 plus voting requirement um, for 18-year-olds, which, um, you know, I I think that 17-year-olds, I think anyone old enough to be sent to war and die for their country should have the right to vote. Um, And you know what? There are 17-year-old high school seniors that are leaving right after graduation, going to, you know, reporting to boot camp, to get trained in the military to eventually be shipped off and fight in conflicts all over the world. So yeah, you know what? I am for 17 year olds having the right to vote in primary elections. And I think that eventually probably not within the next five years, but more than likely within the next 20 to 30 years, you're going to see that that age from 18 is going to be ratified and probably drop down to 17. Um, But you know what? That would, that would be pretty, um, that would be a major deal as far as voting rights in our country. Um, what about prisoners? Prisoner voting rights are defined by individual states, and the laws are different from state to state. Some states allow only individuals on probation to vote. Others allow individuals on parole and probation. As of 2012, only Florida, Kentucky, and Virginia could continue to impose a lifelong denial of the right to vote to all citizens with a felony record. However, in Kentucky, a felon's rights can be restored after the completion of a restoration process 
to regain civil rights. In 2007, the Florida legislature restored voting rights to convicted felons who had served their sentences. However, Governor Rick Scott, don't get me started on Rick Scott, he reversed the 2007 reforms. He signed legislation that permanently disenfranchised citizens with past felony convictions. The United States has a higher proportion of its population in prison than any other Western nation, and more than Russia and China. The dramatic rise in the rate of incarceration in the United States, a 500% increase from the 70s to the 90s, has vastly increased the number of people disenfranchised because of felon provisions. According to the Sentencing Project, as of 2010, an estimated 5.9 million Americans are denied the right to vote because of a felony conviction. Now, my question to everyone is, should felons be given the right to vote on the successful completion of their sentences? I vote yes. I think every American has the right to vote. I think every American should vote. Even if that American has been in jail for 20 years, I think the moment that American is released from custody and sent back out into the world, he should he or she should have their right to vote reestablished so my question to everyone is should prisoners be allowed their right to vote after they have successfully completed their their incarceration now there are many obstacles that you know still go on right now within our country like the homeless you know, right now, many homeless members or many homeless people do not vote. Most of them don't have state IDs. Many of them don't know about polling places. Many of them just don't care. But that is a huge, huge. That's a huge problem because once again, people are not voting. Now, there have been plenty of court cases involving homeless voting. Um, Collier versus Menzel and Walters versus Reed. Um, you have special interest elections. I mean, that has been a problem within our voting, within our voting rights for a long time. Is special interest getting involved and you know basically tell us how to vote? They're donating large, large, large amounts of money to political candidates through political action committees or super PACs. Um, special interest has been a huge problem. In fact, you're hearing, you've been hearing more about it since 2016 with Bernie Sanders than any other politician that's running for president. Um, and I think it's because Bernie is against special interest when it comes to elections. I mean, the majority, actually, I think 99% of his 2016 campaign was funded by us. There was absolutely no super PACs that I remember. Um, he wasn't begging corporations for money, unlike some other people that were running for president. It's basically showing, it showed me as a voter that he was not bought, unlike most politicians right now that's in Congress. So I think that we need to start a huge national movement to go up against special interest and pretty much reclaim that 
you know, our elections is by us, not by the billion dollar corporations. But that's just what I think. Um, you know, there are, there are still many, many ways to disenfranchise voters. I mean, one of the biggest arguments with voter IDs is, you know, it goes up against the minority vote. Um, you know, people being denied the, you know, people getting in line too late and not, you know, being able to vote. That's a huge problem. Um, mostly every election cycle you hear about, um, some shit that went down involving people not being able to vote that day. Um, and, you know, it seems to me that this problem is just becoming more and more and more, or this situation is becoming more and more of a problem every single time that we go out there and vote. Um, so how do we combat that? Easy. Still create the movements. Um, this is your right to vote. You need to go. You need to get off your ass and you need to go vote. Every election is important. Now, granted, we have an electoral system in this country. We are telling the electors how to vote. Technically, the person is not the president-elect until the electors vote and Congress certifies that vote. But that is what pretty much differentiates us from other republics. We're a constitutional republic. When it comes to the popular vote, all of our congressmen, all of our senators, our state elected officials, our county, our local state elected officials, that is all by a popular vote, except for the presidency. The presidency is by the Electoral College. And eventually we're going to get rid of the Electoral College. I strongly believe that the Electoral College is going to be disbanded. We will not have a need for a Electoral College in the future. Um, I always had this argument that when Democrats win elections, we don't bitch about the Electoral College, but the moment that Democrats lose, all of a sudden the Electoral College is a problem. I've always said the Electoral College has always been a problem. I think that we need to go to a popular vote system for all of our elections that would make us a true republic and not a constitutional republic. Or that would make us more of a republic than what we have right now. Um I think that we need a lot of reforms as far as our election laws. I think that we need to keep big money out of elections. I think that we need to make sure that super PACs cannot be organized, make sure that money does not rule our elections at all. I think that our politicians don't need to be bought. I think that they need to be men or women who are willing to answer to the people that elect them and not the corporations because as long as there's big money involved in politics and elections, you're going to continue to have members of Congress that are bought by the NRA or if I'm being fair by the ACLU, um, by big, you know, big oil corporations. We're going to continue to have this problem until we get rid of, or until we start putting better laws into effect that, takes money out of the equation because as long as money is in the equation, we're going to continue to have bought politicians. So 
that goes for this segment involving voting rights here on Polytalk. And for next week, I need some suggestions. So to all of my awesome listeners out there, I want everyone to go ahead and DM me on Twitter and let me know what you want to be taught or want to be discussed during Polytalk for next week. So that does it for this segment of Polytalk, and we'll, we'll be right back. And welcome back to our final segment, Final Thoughts to Steve, my favorite segment of the whole show, because now we can lower that blood pressure a little bit. We can you know, just sit back and just have a really good conversation on whatever our topic of discussion is going to be for this final segment. And of course, we're going to be talking about communities. We're going to be talking about how can we better our community. So I always say that the best way to know what your community is going through is by volunteering at nonprofit organizations. And over the last three years, I've had a great experience with Boys and Girls Clubs of South Alabama. I love that organization. I love what they do for our kids. But before I got involved with that organization, I did not know anything about what our youth was going through at home. Um, I did not know why we have you know, large amount of juvenile crimes that's go, that goes on. I was completely uneducated on this. And then I started volunteering at Boys and Girls Clubs. And let me tell you, the moment I walked through the door, my life changed forever. Um, I became a mentor to over 200 young kids ages from 6 to 18. Um, you know, my primary was on teenagers because, you know what, they're more vocal about what's going on. Um you know, with their lives and, you know, just hearing their stories, you know, the majority of them are growing up in homes that do not have fathers. I could not tell you how many times I was told that, you know, they wish that they had a father like me, how I was or how I am to my son. Um, but, you know, just being able to talk to these kids and mentor these kids and help these kids, you know, it, it became a huge blessing. Every single day that I was there was a blessing because I got to learn something new. And I got to help somebody. Um, but to those who don't volunteer, yeah, you could say, well, you know, we have high taxes, our crime is high. But you know what? You really don't know until you start getting involved in local nonprofit organizations. So let's talk about our communities. Our communities are diverse. There's, I know firsthand from my community that there's people from all over the world that live within my community. There's different religions. There's, everything's just different. And that's what I love about our community is because you learn something each and every single day by just talking to people. And the one thing I love about our community is that we all have that we all have this like southern mentality of you know talking to everybody that we meet. I mean, I've always heard some things about the south like you know some areas of the south are so friendly that you know people can you know walk up to your house and you know you can sit with them for hours on the front porch and 
you know, drink sweet tea and just talk about life. And you know what? In my community, that's actually, that's very true, especially my neighborhood. Um, we have a lot of really super awesome, nice people living in my neighborhood. And just talking to them, you know, you start to understand what our community is going through. Um, you know, like I said, previous, you know, volunteering with Boys and Girls Clubs of America, you know, that helped me out a lot to know what our youth is going through. Uh, volunteering with the American Cancer Society to get to know cancer patients and those who have defeated cancer. Um, you know, that became a blessing in itself. Um, not to mention my mom is going through breast cancer right now. So that community that she's involved in with the Breast Cancer Society you know, it's a huge group of people that, you know, come together to help each other during very trying times of their lives. Um, we are forever grateful for the friends that we've made through the Breast Cancer Society. But you never know what your community is going through unless if you get involved. Um, right now in Mobile, we have a large problem with homelessness and veteran homelessness. And that is something that kills me all the time is learning how many veterans we still have on the streets that are still living in cardboard boxes each and every night. And every time I hear these stories, it moves me, but also angers me because being a veteran, my brothers and my sisters that I've served with should not be treated this way. We should have more organizations out there that, you know, want to help veterans get off the streets. And that has always been a huge, huge deal with me. And we need to be more involved within our communities. So this is what I want all of you, our listeners, to do. Starting this week, I want each and every one of you to take some time and go volunteer at a nonprofit organization. And there, and don't, there's no excuse of, well, I can't find one because there are plenty of nonprofit organizations around your communities. I want you to go and volunteer just an hour a week. Just go up and volunteer, and you know, you'll learn firsthand what's go, what's really going on within your communities. Go volunteer with you know with senior center or senior citizens organizations. Volunteer within healthcare, childcare, um, homelessness. I guarantee if you get more involved, you're going to open your eyes to issues that are not being discussed at the dinner table every single night. Because, you know, we get so involved in national issues, we stop looking at local issues. We stop looking at the issues that are going on within our own communities. And I'm always preaching about how we can be better human beings. Being a better human being does not only involve saying it, it involves doing it. And one way to be a better human being is getting involved within your community. So my fellow political nerds out there, I think we all should be better human beings and also get involved within our own individual communities. And I promise you will learn something. I promise that it will move you. You will have an experience unlike any other. You will, you'll 
you know, be more knowledgeable with the problems that are going on within your communities. Because, you know, one argument I always hear involving kids is, well, the reason why the kid's so screwed up is because he doesn't get his ass whooped. Well, not exactly. A lot of kids that I've met that are going through problems is because they don't have male adult figures to talk to. They don't have fathers. And I've said it a million times on my pod. Fathers, we need to be more involved with our children. This is not just the mother's responsibility. It took two to create these children. It takes two to raise these children. Get involved in your child's life. Talk to them. Teach them. It's not that difficult. Because many children that I've met within my career, many of them don't have fathers. Many of them are looking for fathers. There are so many organizations out there within our communities like Big Brother, Big Sister, Boys and Girls Clubs. They're involved in these children's lives. In fact, many children that I met, they have no place to go but Boys and Girls Clubs. It's the only place that can get away from what's going on at home. So for us to get more involved within our communities, we need to start paying more attention. Go volunteer. Go work a soup kitchen. Go help out at a homeless shelter. I mean, I promise you, this is a rewarding experience. I can tell you that from personal experiences. It's extremely rewarding when you go out there and help other people. Our communities are all going through the same situations. Mostly different. But when all boils down to, we all have the same problem. So for us to make our world better, to make America great again, for all of us just to be better human beings, all it requires us is to be more and more involved in our daily lives. So that's all I have to say for this week. <laughs> just Get involved and go and get more involved within your communities. And that will do it for this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. Thank you so much to everyone who have donated to our Anchor page. It is so awesome to see that we have so many supporters. Um, a couple of updates first. We are gaining a lot of followers on Twitter. So if you have not yet followed us, go to twitter.com, search for official PTWSTEV and click that follow button. We are always posting stuff on our Twitter page. We're also about to, to go ahead and, and turn on our Instagram page. We are very excited to bring Political Thoughts with Steve into Instagram. Um, we're probably not going to be doing Facebook that much, but we are going to start being active on Instagram. So hopefully this week we will be on Instagram. Um, also PodX. Man, that's getting loud. Um, also PodX in Nashville. We will be attending PodX in Nashville. So we hope to see everyone that is going to be in Nashville for that event. We will be walking around. We will have t-shirts. We will have some really cool stuff to give away. So, you know, just find us. Um, I'll be wearing my political thoughts with Steve t-shirt. Um, I'll be with one of my best friends. He owns a t-shirt making company that I, um, advertised last week on last week's episode. Um, but we will be there. So we're 
you know, very, very happy to meet all of our fellow political nerds out there and have some really awesome conversations. And, you know, you may never know, we're actually thinking about doing live interviews at Pod X in May. So that would be really awesome to do. And, you know, we just cannot wait to meet everybody. Um, also, pay attention. Make sure that you're, you know, continuing to pay attention to what's going on right now in the political landscape. We cannot emphasize that enough. The landscape is changing hour by hour. So just, you know, continue to stay involved in everything and make sure that you thank a veteran this week. Make sure that you tell them that you support them. Make sure that you thank our members of blue, our military. We love our military and our police officers. Make sure that, you know, you're always telling them that you support them. Um, and I think that will do it. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone for joining us for this week's episode of political thoughts with Steve. Make sure that you go to Twitter and subscribe. Um, if you're listening to us on Apple, go ahead and click that button and rate us and leave us a comment also, um, to all of our dedicated Twitter fans, um, keep those, uh, messages coming through our DMS and everything. We read them and, you know, we are constantly making changes to our podcast. So thank you so much to all of our fans and everything. And we will be back next week for another episode of political thoughts with Steve. We'll see you guys later.